Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with life, logic and love. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. This evening's show title contains the word logic, life, logic and love. Nevertheless, we'll also be encountering some illogical facts, ideas and positions in the show. In other words, an underlying theme of this show will be the contradictory nature of life in the new South Africa and the contradictory ideas that govern the society. What better way to expose these contradictions than by beginning with the number one problem in the new South Africa? Dr. Hammond, can you tell us about the number one problem in South Africa? Well, um, many people would probably be thinking, Ishkom, our powers of darkness, who are giving us at the moment level six power failures. Now, level two and level four are more common. That means two power failures a day, a level four, uh, four power failures a day, level six, six power failures a day, two hours each uh, generally, although we've had four and a half hours on some occasions for a single power failure. Uh, but no, um, when you talk to people on the ground, uh, obviously electricity power failures are a major problem and uh, people are frustrated. You can imagine businesses like printing presses, suddenly <laughs> everything comes to a grinding halt in a massive factory because nothing can work without that. That's pretty frustrating. Um, poor caterers and uh, restaurants, how do they manage? You've got a half-cooked meal Nobody's going to wait two hours till you continue to cook the meal, which might be ruined. So this is a bit of a disaster. We've had tourists stuck in our cable car also midway in the pitch darkness before while the power failure has been there. And you can imagine that's not exactly something that will encourage people to want to come back hanging in darkness for two hours <laughs> in a cramped place like cable car. Some people have gone a bit hysterical there. Uh, but, <clears throat> no, that's that's not the number one problem. When you speak to the average person on the ground, crime and violence continues to be the number one concern. It continues to plague South Africa. It chases away foreign investors. Crime is a reality which affects every one of us. Burglaries, car break-ins, muggings, car theft, car hijackings, armed robberies, murder, rape. These are daily experiences for all too many South Africans. In fact, they said in... At the old South Africa, some people might have known someone who was a victim of crime. In the new South Africa, everyone has been a victim of crime. And if they've only been a victim of crime once, they're very, very, very fortunate. Most people have been multiple times victims of crime. But what it makes this explosion of lawlessness particularly distressing is that so many of the crimes are being committed by convicted criminals who should have been behind bars, but who'd been released early on parole or by amnesties, which is very frustrating when you think it's bad enough when the criminal uh, committed the crime, but when he'd already been captured, imprisoned, and then he is let out again, that really is bad. But it reminds one of the fact that if you speak to anybody on the streets in almost any country around the world, what's the average person's concerns? Not the concerns of their government, because the concerns of the average government out there is climate change and uh, gender uh, concerns. So that for example, in Britain and America, the government seems to think that the most important things is climate change, which, well, weather does change. We have seasons and, and all that. That's that's normal. <clears throat> when I grew up, they were uh, harassing us around the world with, we're heading into new global freezing, new ice age, and uh, now it's been global warming, and now they're changing it to climate change because, in fact, things have been getting colder since they were talking about global warming. So they can't make up their mind, and a lot of it's a fraud, but it does provide a huge amount of money uh, for those who are um, managing to benefit from this, such as communist Red China, 
who gets most of the more than 70% of the green energy contracts for producing the batteries, which are more devastating on the, on the, on the environment, and uh, wind turbines and so on, and which are not as efficient, of course, and which kill an enormous amount of bird life. So many of us aren't too thrilled about the green energy options that some are being uh, um, putting forward and getting enriched on. Why should communist China, one of the worst, if not the very worst, abuser of the planets who've caused more pollution, especially plastic pollution in the oceans and air pollution and all the rest of it. Why should they be benefiting from this bonanza of uh, contracts that go for so-called green energy, which costs a lot more and which, when you look at it, it degrades the environment even more um, because producing batteries takes a vast amount of all the things that people are saying are bad. Nevertheless, um, having said all that, uh, you speak to the average person on the ground, they're more concerned about the economy and the education of their children and not getting involved in a new world war or nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere. But nope, according to the governments, those aren't really concerns. The important concerns are gender-affirming surgery and uh, uh, being able to force critical race theory and gender dysphoria upon uh, kids in primary school. And uh, they are thinking that those are the most important things. And when the population disagrees and the vast amount of people protest, they tell them that they're a danger to democracy. So isn't it strange that you've got these few elitists out there who are telling you what you should be concerned about and when the vast majority of the people say those are not our primary concerns, they're told they're a threat to democracy. Mm, yeah, so we've got uh, contradictions as a theme and now disconnects between people and the governments. Um, Talking about contradictions, how is our government responding to this epidemic of crime? Is it a rational response or irrational? Uh, seriously irrational. <laughs> the response of all too many in government has been counterproductive. Rather than fight crime, government policy in South Africa, and one can't help but notice that the middle letter of cancer is ANC. And the cancer is a cell that does not contribute to the health of the body, but breaks down, degrades the health of the body. And certainly we've got a cancer government. Well, their policy seems to have been to legalize previous crimes. So they've been busy legalizing gambling and other vice like pornography and prostitution, perversion and abortion. And aside from legalizing crimes, they have been criminalizing law-abiding citizens, such as during the lockdown lunacy masquerade madness, hundreds of thousands of citizens were arrested or ticketed and fined for violations on the mandatory masking, the muzzling, which from the very beginning we knew was absolutely worthless, of no medical benefit. In fact, on the very boxes which produced these so-called surgical cloth masks, it was saying this ear loop face mask provides no protection against COVID-19 or any other virus. It is only a face mask to help against bacteria. It doesn't help against the virus whatsoever. And nevertheless, they were the police who did not seem to be able to deal with hardened criminals, were able to raid people on beaches and keep people from walking in the park and uh, arrest a person with multiple police vehicles who was running around an empty sports field. Um, and, you know, how can that be a threat to anyone? And they put so much energy into harassing tourists and people just minding their own business, walking in the park, walking in the road and uh, walking along the beach and that sort of thing. Next thing you see police helicopters being deployed to check that nobody's swimming at the beach or fishing at the beach or anything like that. And uh, bizarre. And then how much more insane criminalizing of people who were conscientious objectors against mandatory vaccinations. 
So, yes, we've got extreme insanity uh, and uh, schizophrenia out there where we've got let's, cr- let's criminalize the innocent and let's um, uh, legalize the crimes <laughs> that previous generations have always understood to be crimes like pornography and prostitution and perversion and abortion. And then they're also trying to um, uh, criminalize registered gun owners. We now have the ridiculous situation where even mass murderers can benefit from amnesties. Yet someone who wants to prevent the murder of an innocent, helpless baby who's threat, uh, who's about to be killed in an abortion clinic, uh, they're wanting to threaten a 10-year prison term for uh, obstructing access to an abortion clinic or something dumb like that. So you're trying to save a life, you can be locked up for 10 years, whereas the person killing the baby is protected. And then we've got a Bill of Rights, which has the right to life clause. And the right to life clause is interpreted to mean that a guilty murderer cannot be executed, even a serial murderer. But innocent babies have no right to life and they can be aborted. So this justice system seems incapable of effectively dealing with hardened, violent criminals with illegal AK-47 assault rifles. But they'd like to deprive a law-abiding citizen of a licensed pistol. What makes this explosion of lawlessness particularly distressing is so many of these crimes have been committed by the very same convicted criminals who should have been behind bars but had been released early on parole or through repeated amnesties or even because the prosecutor lost the case file. Uh, The Bible is a repository of sound wisdom on most fundamental aspects of life, but especially so on the management and combating of crime. Is that not so, Dr. Hammond? Yes, Romans 3, 15 to 17. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. The scripture declares in Proverbs 24, verse 24 to 25, that whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, peoples will curse him and nations will denounce him, but it will go well with those who convict the guilty. Proverbs 17, 15 says, God detests those who acquit the guilty. The Bible is very clear that the priority for civil government is to punish those who do wrong. That's in 1 Peter 2.14. Romans 13 says that the primary duty of government is to protect life and property as an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. We get a very wise question asked in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Why do people commit crime so readily? The answer, because crime is not punished quickly enough. Justice delayed is justice denied. What does South Africa as a nation need to do to end the scourge or curse of crime? Well, if South Africans sincerely want to restore law and order and restore respect for life and restore respect for property, then we need to turn to God in repentance and in humble prayer. We need to return to the biblical laws of restitution for all theft of or damage to property and execution for premeditated murder. I mean, this is the word of God. It's God's law or chaos. So the first step would be 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The new South Africa's constitution and Bill of Rights are constantly being lauded for example, it has been described by Chris Nissen, who is or was a Western Cape Commissioner for the South African Human Rights Commission, as the best constitution in the world. It has been described as being on par with the Canadian constitution for its progressiveness. Albie Sachs said the new South African constitution was drafted on the foundational values of human dignity, equality, and freedom. 
U.S. Supreme Court judge, former judge, Ruth Bader Ginsburg praised it, saying that it is a great piece of work that was done, much more recent than the U.S. Constitution, end quote. And American legal scholar Cass Sunstein has described it as the world's leading example of a transformative constitution, end quote, because of its rights-based approach. In your view, Dr. Hammond, is this praise deserved? <laughs> well, looking at the very people who've done the praising, I mean, they're all... Uh, radical leftist synagogue of Satan characters that the Lord Jesus condemns. So honestly, these are people who have been promoting legalized abortion, who have been promoting uh, the abolition of death penalty for murderers, but the death penalty rather being given to innocent babies. So these people are vile and in many cases Marxist and support uh, the most radical social engineering type of experiments uh, where children are to be groomed uh, for paedophiles uh, through so-called sex education. So, yes, uh, when people like that are praising it, then you know there's something radically wrong. You know, if, if the likes of Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein think this is a great constitution, then you've got to be sure, no, this is pretty bad. The Bill of Rights and the Constitution are actually only empty words and rhetoric unless they're acted upon. And what's more, the Constitution is not based on the law of God. Uh, the clause in the Bill of Rights which upholds the right to life is so meaningless that it doesn't protect any citizens from wholesale violence. What it does is it protects the life of murderers. Murderers can't be executed, but babies can and citizens can be murdered because all it really does is it takes away the death penalty as a deterrent for murder uh, and protects the murderers from receiving justice. And it's quite clear in God's word, Genesis 9 verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. That's Genesis 9, 6. So capital punishment is necessary. It's necessary for justice, for the rule of law, and for the protection of the innocent. Uh, we read in Proverbs 11, verse 10, that you know, one of the jobs of, of uh, the government is actually to protect the innocent and uh, to execute ju justice. So we read in Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. And so plainly, justice is not being done when you can see uh, terror increasing, violence increasing, and uh, the righteous are, in fact, not joyful, but in many cases uh, fearful. The shocking escalation of crime and violence since the death penalty was first suspended under de Klerk and later abolished under Mandela. Tens of thousands of violent criminals were released, in fact, over 100 and something thousand by Mandela alone. It highlighted the disastrous consequence of rejecting the law of God. And uh, this is the, the, the problem. The scripture says the compassions of the wicked are cruel. And yes, they might do things with ostensibly to, to help, but the results are always counterproductive. So yes, I just look and I think back uh, before when we had consistent death penalty for murder, we had murders that could be in the hundreds. But the moment death penalty or capital punishment was relaxed and was only applied selectively, murder went up to the thousands. When the death penalty was abolished, murder went into the tens of thousands per year in South Africa. And so uh, it is quite clear uh, that um, soft law means hardened criminals. This brings us to another contradiction that you have brought to light. Those who abolish the death penalty and those who promote abortion share something in common. Yeah, this is even more outrageous. Those very people who worked for the abolition of the death penalty for murderers saying you've got to have the right to life and it's, it's, it's not civilized to have the death penalty 
and uh, we have to respect human life and the sanctity of life, and so you can't have death penalty for murderers. And so even a serial murderer cannot be executed. But they're the same people who campaigned for the introduction of the death penalty for pre-born babies. In other words, kill the innocent, protect the guilty. We've had some people say, well, how can you say that you're for the right to life of, of babies and, and you oppose abortion, but you support the death penalty? You say, well, the difference is we support death penalty for the guilty murderers. You support the death penalty for the innocent babies. You say that a, a justice in the calm environment of a court cannot impose the death penalty on a murderer after hearing all sides of the case factually presented from the defence and, and the uh, prosecution. But some teenage girl can go and kill her baby and uh, her parents don't need to be consulted or even informed. So, yes, I would say we've got some serious contradictions here. Dr. Hammond, can you put the modern day, uh, uh, put modern day abortion into a biblical perspective? Yes, um, plainly abortion is murder. Life begins at conception, abortion is murder. And in the Bible we read a lot about uh, human sacrifice. So Psalm 106, verse 37 to 38, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. The land was desecrated by their blood. So that's in Psalm 106. Abortion is really a modern equivalent of child sacrifice. Just as God's people were opposing Pharaoh's decree to murder newborn, boy, newborn boys in Egypt, um, such as in Exodus 1, so we need to protect preborn babies from abortion today. And just as King Herod sought to kill the babies in Bethlehem, as we read in Matthew 2, so abortionists are attempting to butcher babies today. And the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, commends the Hebrew midwives who refused to enact Pharaoh's edict, who disobeyed Pharaoh and deceived him uh, when he ordered them to kill the baby boys born uh, in, in Egypt. And they are commended in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, uh, for that. So plainly, in the Bible, sanctity of life is respected, and those who work to save lives are commended, whereas those who are in league with the Pharaohs and the King Herods of this day, well, they are condemned. So the biblical perspective is, you shall not murder. Please explain the term sanctity of life and its relevance to the abortion debate. Right, so the sanctity of life is an essential article of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, the only Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So in the Apostles' Creed, the foundational state in the Christian church, you have sanctity of life written in. Our Lord Jesus didn't become Jesus at birth or at baptism. Uh, but he became the Lord Jesus from conception. Life begins at conception. I mean, that's not just biblical. That's also biological. Biology 101, it's a fact. It's clear. Life begins at conception. And the Bible makes it clear in Psalm 139, Isaiah 44, verse 2, Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Luke 1, verse 41. The unborn baby is at conception genetically a distinct person, physiologically a distinct person, organically a distinct person. Life begins at conception. At that very moment, life begins. And at about three weeks after conception, the baby's heartbeat can actually be measured and detected. Six weeks after conception, the baby has its own lifelong brainwave. And by that stage, the mother may not even know she's pregnant yet. If the absence of a brainwave is considered a sign of death, well, why then is the presence of a brainwave not accepted as a confirmation of life? And the same thing with the heartbeat. 
when there's an absent heartbeat, they say the person's dead. Well, if there's presence of a heartbeat, doesn't it confirm the person's alive? So birth is not a magical act that turns a non-human into a person. Birth is only a change of environment for life that began months before, actually. And so every abortion stops a beating heart. I mean, that's a fact. Every abortion stops a beating heart. And that's why abortionists were getting hysterical when Texas and other states in America brought out the heartbeat law, that you couldn't abort a baby where a heartbeat could be detected. And they were saying, but uh, you can always detect the heartbeat. From three weeks, you can detect the heartbeat. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this is the point. So the heartbeat law um, was saying you can't abort the baby if the, if the heartbeat can be detected. And, of course, the abortionists had to admit, well, we've always known that there's a heartbeat. So when they said, oh, it's, it's, it's not life, it's just a blob of tissue, it's just, you know, it's T.O.P., termination of pregnancy, it's, it's, a, it's removing this blob of tissue. And so they, they didn't want to admit that it was life, but with the heartbeat law, it became clear, oh, they've actually always known that they are ending a beating heart. So, yes, that's a fact. Every abortion ends a brainwave. Every abortion is the murder of a helpless, innocent human being. Well, it sounds like I have to add nine months to my age. Oh. Is, there yes. a, is there an inconsistency in our society in terms of condemning the past while at the same time readily accepting the practice of abortion? Very much. It's of the utmost hypocrisy for us to be denouncing crimes or atrocities committed under apartheid, which people are still shouting about decades after it ended, um, and condemning those who stood by and allowed previous holocaust to be perpetrated. You know, people go off and say, you know, how could they stand by while this and that was being done? And you can just think of the Cambodian Holocaust and the, the Holocaust in Rwanda and in Vietnam and in the communist world. There's, there's been so many genocides uh, from the Armenians all the way through the 20th century. We've been seeing so many genocides and holocausts where in many cases people have stood by and done nothing. And of course, you can condemn that. But how then... Uh, can we allow the abortion holocaust to continue in our own country? How incredible that South Africans replaced apartheid with abortion. And I challenged President Mandela when he summoned me to his uh, mansion, Critics' State, uh, in 1996. We had just marched tens of thousands of people to Parliament to protest the paganization of South Africa, legalization of abortion, pornography, and all these other evils that he was proposing and promoting at that stage. And uh, I said to him that uh, you are questioning the Christianity of people who justified apartheid 40 years ago. It won't be 40 years from now, Mr. President, people question your humanity that you are replacing apartheid with abortion. You're replacing discrimination on the basis of race with discrimination on the basis of age. And you're not just uh, choosing these uh, babies to be in a separate area or having separate beaches or having a separate voter's role, you're denying their right to life. You're killing them. And I said, uh, abortion is worse than apartheid. And you are separating the baby from its own life support and, and the mother. And uh, people will condemn you in the future for having legalized this. In the name of human rights, pro-choices are depriving pre-born babies of the right to life. Instead of discrimination on the base of race, they now have discrimination based on age. Can you condemn discrimination based on race while just allowing discrimination based on age, you're smaller than I am, you're younger than I am, you don't have the right to life. Of what worth is human dignity if babies are denied the right to life? The right to life is one of the most basic, urgent, important issues confronting society today. So uh, it is 
ridiculous to condemn people of the past who didn't act when something evil was being done, but to justify ourselves doing nothing while even greater evil is being done in our time. Two million babies have been killed in South Africa since 1997. Since Nelson Mandela as president signed the legalization of abortion in South Africa, the Termination of Pregnancy Act, back on 1st of February 1997, in the last 25 years, two million South African babies have been killed by abortion, legally, officially, with taxpayers' money. Uh, you mentioned um, the term right to life. Can you... Uh, let's just well, let's turn it to the clause of the right to life in the Constitution. Uh, the way this is interpreted reveals yet more contradictions, does it not, Dr. Hammond? Yes, it's convoluted logic. It's mental gymnastics involved that the right to life clause in the Constitution is now being interpreted to mean guilty murderers cannot be executed, but innocent babies can get the death penalty through abortion. I mean, that's pretty bizarre. If the right to life of the most helpless and the most innocent members of society, pre-born babies... If that's not upheld by the Bill of Rights, by the right to life, then isn't the Bill of Rights just a worthless piece of paper? A society that is capable of burning, that's what abortion is, burning, smothering, poisoning, or dismembering little babies. Those are the four main ways of abortion. They burn them to death, they smother them to death, they poison them, they dismember them. I mean, with a saline solution, which is extremely painful, if anyone doubts us, you just have to see the film, The Silent Scream, and it's, it's hideous. So a society that is capable of burning, smothering, poisoning, and dismembering little babies deserves the wrath of God. It doesn't matter how many times you sing in Corsi Sickly Africa. Why would God bless a country in rebellion to him that legalizes blasphemy, pornography, perversion, abortion? And how is it possible that a highly trained, experienced judge, after careful deliberation of all the evidence and all the arguments presented by both prosecution and defense in the calm, objective environment of a court of law, if a judge cannot choose to impose the death penalty upon a duly convicted murderer, even a serial murderer, how then can a young teenager without the permission or even the knowledge of their parents make an emotional spur of the decision, spur of the moment decision, to have an innocent unborn baby killed through abortion? This is insane. This is a tragic decision that she may well regret for the rest of her life. So, yes, this the right to life clause basically doesn't protect anybody in this country from being murdered by criminals or protect any babies from abortion. But it does protect murderers from receiving the death penalty. Our society, or should I say the blueprint for our society, that is our constitution, seems designed to allow people to act irresponsibly without suffering any consequences, be it committing a crime or engaging in irresponsible sexual behavior. Yes, so the policy is penalize the productive or tax the productive and reward the parasites. Now, it's an economic fact. Whatever you tax, you get less of. <laughs> Whatever you reward or subsidize, you get more of. So isn't it funny? When they subsidize unemployment, when they subsidize inactivity, when they subsidize laziness, when they subsidize vice, then you get more of it. And if you're going to tax and penalize, punish the productive, well, you're going to get less productivity. So it's it's highly irresponsible and people don't need to take responsibility for their actions because we're going to pass it on to taxpayer and all the hardworking suckers who pay their taxes, they're going to end up paying for the irresponsible rest. What sort of legal framework exists to support, promote or control abortion in South Africa? Well, um, they're certainly supporting it, they're certainly promoting it, but they're not controlling it. Um, basically, the murder of pre-born babies in South Africa is legal, it's easy, it's taxpayer-funded. 
the choice of termination of pregnancy bill defies all logic because there's no penalty specified for violating its laws. So while I may say, oh, there's these and these parameters and so on, but there's no penalty for those who break those parameters. And so uh, basically in South Africa, you can abort a baby for any reason to full term. Although that's not what the act says, but there's no punishment for those who are violating these rules. So effectively, the legal status of abortion in South Africa is completely legal, easy and taxpayer funded right up to the day of birth. And by the way, South Africa is one of the only countries in the continent of Africa to have legalized abortion. It's just Tunisia in the far north and South Africa in the far south. The rest of Africa has abortion as a crime. How do you respond to arguments in favor of abortion, such as what if the pregnant woman is a victim of rape or what if the pregnant woman comes from the underbelly of society and the child is likely to be caught in a cycle of poverty and crime? Is abortion the humane thing in such a situation? No, it's never right to kill the innocent. For example, if, if you're talking about a case of rape, then the rapist should die. Uh, biblically, um, a rapist should get the death penalty. You shouldn't be killing the victim of the rape. You certainly shouldn't be killing the baby. In fact, the Bible says uh, that the son is not to be put to death for the sin of the father. And that is certainly a fact. You, you don't, the father shouldn't be put to death for the sin of the child, and the child shouldn't be put to death for the sin of the father. Uh, you know, punish the rapist. Don't punish the baby. And uh, there's adoption, which is the loving option. There's a lot of sol solutions. But if you're going to say that a person who's being born to a disadvantaged family has no right to life, well, that could, dis that could uh, write off David Livingston. I mean, David Livingston's parents were unbelievably poor. Uh, it's a, certainly right of Mary Slessor. I mean, her father was a drunkard, abusive man, and uh, uh, she she was brought up in an extremely squalid home, having to work from age 10 full-time in, in, in the cotton mills. Uh, Henry Morton Stanley would certainly uh, not be worthy of being born by this argument because uh, uh, he didn't even know or have any parents. He was abandoned into the uh, poorhouse, the uh, orphanage, and was heavily abused there. So, you know, if you're going to start arguing about... Um, if a person is born in poverty or in a dysfunctional, broken family, then there's a lot of people who've benefited the world very effectively uh, who would suddenly find they shouldn't have existed according to such logic. Who or what agendas benefit from the promotion of abortion? Qui bono, as they say. Mm. Well, there's a lot of groups that do benefit. First of all, let's consider the people who are promoting this. Now, Planned Parenthood or Planned Baronhood one of the biggest abortion providers on earth, uh, they make a mint out of this. This is a multi-billion dollar industry and they sell abortions. And if you doubt this, uh, get the testimony of Abby Johnson. Uh, Abby Johnson's book, Unplanned, and there's a major film made on it too, Unplanned, both well worth both reading and seeing. Um, uh, she was an abortionist. She was, in fact, a director of a abortion clinic for Planned Parenthood, one of the most successful and busy ones in Texas at that and uh, she later came out and she became a whistleblower and exposed that, in fact, all of their, uh, you know, we're here to empower women and to this. She said, no, <laughs> we were just selling abortions and we were trained to lie, uh, to cry in sympathy, to do all sorts of things. But we were selling abortions and that, that's the whole goal. And when she tried to follow the uh, propaganda, but aren't we here to make uh, abortions less uh, common? And uh, she was rebuked by the head of Planned Parenthood there saying, we are an abortion provider. First and foremost, we sell abortions. And uh, and that's a fact. 
And Mary Stopes, uh, by the way, uh, provides even more abortions. And, uh, you know, these are billion-dollar uh, industries worldwide. And then you get um, <laughs> United Nations behind them funding a lot of this. But you need to go even beyond that and understand uh, that who benefits? Well, the World Economic Forum wants a lot less people in the world. They would like to, according to Georgia Guidestones and uh, the World Economic Forum Earth Charter written by Mikhail Gorbachev, for example, uh, back in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio, uh, they say the ideal world population is 500 million. Uh, so hmm, here we've got more than 8 billion. So there's a lot of surplus people out there or useless eaters, to use the World Economic Forum terms, uh, who need to be culled. And so abortion is playing a major role in bringing down the world's population. Of course, uh, famines and plagues and vaccinations that could sterilize people, all of those sort of things are, are of course, very helpful uh, for their agenda. And uh, nuclear war that they seem to be playing with right now, um, uh, the whole potential of a third world war and maybe even a nuclear war uh, is not out of the realms of possibility. And it seems the World Economic Forum is behind a lot of this. They're trying to bring down the world's population dramatically, which is why there's a war on farmers, not just murdering and torturing farmers like in South Africa and expropriation without compensation such as in Zimbabwe, which led to total famine and more than half the population of Zimbabwe fleeing. Uh, but you can see wars against farmers even in the Netherlands, even in the United States, America and Canada. So there's worldwide a global war against farmers and no farmers, no food. That's pretty logical. So who's behind the abortion gender? The same people who are also behind the LGBTQ agenda and the gender confusions. They're against families. They're against healthy, what is the first command in the scripture, be fruitful and multiply. So, uh, yes, I think um, who's benefiting? Well, there's no doubt Planned Parenthood and Mary Stopes Clinics are benefiting enormously from this, and they get vast amounts of subsidies from governments and from the United Nations, World Health Organization, or should we say Wuhan Health Organization, so, yes, who benefits? But then behind that, there's governments who particularly want to bring the number of people down and they want to force women into the working place because having a, a full-time mother at home, homemaker, who is increasing the number of children in the world and raising them in the love of the Lord, they don't want that. They want the woman in the workplace. And let the government and some professional childminders look after your kids. You know, let the government raise your kids and daycare is the solution. And therefore, uh, you can see that the people who are pushing for uh, both uh, parents in the household to be out there, not just wage earners, but taxpayers. I mean, this is a key part. And uh, you don't want them wasting their time giving love and care and counsel to the next generation raising kids. You know, leave that to the state. We'll do that. We care about your children more than you do. We know what's good for you uh, better than you do. And we know how to spend your money better than you do. Uh, so, you know, just give us your taxes and give us your children too, by the way. So, yes, who's benefiting? Good question. I would say World Economic Forum, the globalists, the New World Order, and, of course, the Sabbatans and the Marxists. They are benefiting. This is their agenda. What is the Christian response to abortion? The heart of Christianity is love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you're to love your neighbors yourself. That's, that's the heart of Christianity. And the golden rule is... Do to others what you would have them do to you. So uh, let's say to this. If you as a mother would not like to be attacked in your home and torn to pieces, then don't allow it to be done to your baby. If you as a doctor would not like to be poisoned to death, then don't do that to a baby. And if a member of parliament 
would not like that you're being snatched from his home, kidnapped and dismembered. Then don't legalize and finance such violence against babies. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If we do not stand up and oppose the legalization of abortion, then the blood of those innocent babies will be on our heads. Christians must love their neighbor, and this includes our unseen pre-born neighbor. Caring for the fatherless, protecting the helpless, defending the innocent, speaking up for the voiceless, that's true Christianity in action. And that's what the Bible commands us to do. Proverbs 24, verse 11. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each one according to what he has done? So South Africa needs to rebuild respect for life. And everyone made in the image of God has the right to life irrespective of the degrees of awareness or health or development, everyone has been endowed by the Creator with the right to enjoy and defend life and liberty, except where they forfeited that life by unlawfully taking or posing an immediate threat to the life of another. So, yes, quite clearly, uh, what must uh, we do in response to abortion? Love God, love our neighbor. How are you fighting against abortion, Dr. Hammond? And can interested members of the public join you in your fight? Yes, so we have been making a stand for life for over 30 years. Africa Christian Action was launched over 30 years ago, and we've been conducting life chains for more than 30 years now. Since 1992, uh, we've been holding life chains every International Life Chain Sunday, and it's always the first Sunday in October. This started in America in 1987. It's spread worldwide. Some years there could be 1,400 life chains uh, around the world with over a million people participating. And uh, life chains are one of the positive, practical ways we can stand for the sanctity of life, speak up for the right to life of pre-born babies. So what you do is we find a busy intersection, in our case, Burtonfrock Street, which is downtown Cape Town, uh, just between the entrance to the waterfront and the Cape Town International Conference Center. There's a big island there with pedestrian bridges and we um, hang our banners and we lift up our posters and what we do is we make a clear stand for the right to life of pre-born babies. We have banners that declare things like um, abortion, the ultimate child abuse and every abortion stops a beating heart and abortion kills babies, adoption loving option, Jesus he uh, heals and forgives, um, uh, many different uh, pro-life uh, signs. Uh, such as pro-choice, that's a lie, babies don't choose to die. And uh, anyone who's living in or near Cape Town uh, can come and join us. If you're in Kempton Park, there's a, a life chain in Kempton Park. In Durban, uh, Doctors for Life are organizing a life chain too, also on Sunday, the uh, 2nd of October. And if you go onto the christianaction.org.za website, you'll see details about upcoming events, where it is. Also on our Africa Christian Action Facebook page, we've uploaded different notifications, posters, leaflets, links, and videos. Uh, we've got a Stand for Life video, we've got several Stand for Life videos, but we've just produced one too to promote this particular upcoming Sunday, the 2nd of October, uh, Stand for Life or, li or Life Chain. So people can get involved. This is a positive, practical, prayer vigil. It's also an outreach opportunity. We just read thousands of pro-life leaflets at the traffic lights to passing motorists and pedestrians. And uh, uh, we can make a stand visually and then through photographs and social media, of course, the message can go even further. So it's, it's a wonderful time of prayer and of um, um, a joint witness together. 
And that's one way you can make a, a stand for life. Of course, on social media, we can share these sort of posts. On the anniversary of legalization of abortion, at the uh, 1st of February every year, we also do a March for Life to Parliament. And uh, on Human Rights Day, there are different groups that have pro-life protests outside different uh, abortion clinics or hospitals where they do abortions. So there's quite a lot that we can do. We can mobilize our church to pray. Uh, we can direct them uh, to see some great pro-life films like Unplanned, which is a phenomenally effective pro-life film. So we strongly recommend that. There's some very good pro-life films out I believe that the Kendrick brothers have just produced a new film called Life Mark, which is pro-life, particularly from an emphasis of adoption, uh, which is much needed. So uh, those are some things. There's some good film resources. There's some great book resources. And you can find a lot on christianaction.org.za website or on the Africa Christian Action Facebook page. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and that of the Bible with regards to abortion and crime in general, Dr. Hammond. In closing, Amos chapter 5, verses 15 and 24. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.